<clears throat> five, four, three, two, one. Beers and banter, episode 31. We've got Govs the Brewer back in the house. How is it March? Surviving the coronavirus and, and a little bit of footy. Let's do it. Let's do it. Gubs, welcome back to Beers and Banter. Mate, thanks for having me. It's good to be back in the shed. It, uh, it is warm in here today. That's all right. Good dr- beer drinking uh, weather. We, luckily, we do have some ice cold beers to get through, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, I want to ask you how your summer was, but it's March. How did that happen? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it feels like it was over in a blink, but uh, when we're in the middle of it, it certainly, we certainly felt it. It was an incredible summer for us, uh, our biggest ever, and... Um, yeah, we're, we're still kind of gathering our feet from it. I heard on ABC this morning that summer is now a month longer than it's supposed to be uh, from a weather point of view. Oh, mate, as a, as a brewer, I'm not too mad about that. <laughs> I'll bet. That's awesome. Yeah, we, uh, we definitely do like it when the sun comes out. Uh, it gets people nice and thirsty and it's good beer drinking weather for us. Well, let's crack one to get started and then we might talk a little bit of footy. Let's what, do it. What, what do you want to get, what do, what do you want to start with? Uh, let's start off with the Tropic. So, yeah, I tried to bring a, a little bit of a mixed bag along with me today for you to try. Uh, so this, this first beer, I think, uh, would be a nice little quencher for us to get started on. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Thanks for coming back. So this is our, um, what we released as our summer sour. Oh. Um, so sour beers are making a, uh, a huge um, rise in the craft beer world. Uh, it's kind of the, the next big um, category after, you know, hoppy beers like pale ales and IPAs. Yeah, that's nice. That's uh, and particularly for uh, Australian summer, having a nice little tart, refreshing fruited ale uh, is is really good. So this one, when we say sour, it's not overly sour. It's not too. It's not you know like um, mouth puckeringly sour. It's just like designed to be nice and refreshing. Um, we've got pineapple, uh, ginger, and lemongrass in there as well. So it's almost like a cocktail in a beer. It's, it tastes really good, actually. You could almost add some rum to that or something, and it becomes like a like its own little cocktail. Absolutely, it? there's nothing wrong with that, and um, we certainly know a few people have. Um, been experimenting with. I like the ginger and spicing it up a bit. That's, that, you could you could switch to that after a bit of a session, like when if the beers are just, you know, a, it's perfect little like cleanser. So yeah. if you're getting getting a bit um, stale on on your beers, or you're just looking for something to to switch it up, uh, a sour is really good for that because it it refreshes the palate and kind of just it's nice and light. It's it's um, really easily digestible, so it kind of goes yeah goes through and clears you out a little bit. I, I guess I'm like that where you can I can drink to a certain point and then it's like I can't have another beer today. Absolutely, but, but I can you can have one of those after when you're starting to feel. Like yeah, that. so perfect. we've been um, doing seasonal sours um, throughout the year. So this was this is our sour for summer, um, and then in autumn we're just about to release our our autumn sour, and then you know coming into winter we get into some you know dark rich red berries and things yeah. like that. Looking forward to that. And that's still available at the moment? 
it is still available. It is on the on the run out, so we um, it'll be uh, at the tap room for probably the next couple of weeks, and then uh, once she's gone, she's gone, and yep. then uh, it'll be won't be around back till next summer. Get in quick, folks. Uh, seeing as it's March, we are just around the corner from footy season. Have you seen any of the preseason stuff? I've been catching a little bit of it. I mean, for me, summer is not a great time for sitting in the on the couch watching footy. Yeah. Um, I don't really catch too much of the 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 news of sports, but um, yeah, I've definitely been following a little bit of it. The good news, the tight. If you stop the season now, the Titans are looking really good. That's how we like to get into it. Yeah. Uh, they played really well on on the weekend. So, excuse me, trial match versus Brisbane up at Redcliffe. Um, they were down sixteen nil, which was like, oh, is this? We've got the uh, the Titans of old. They then scored twenty eight unanswered points and uh, basically put the Broncos to the sword. So it was it was a good match, good signs. We've still got a couple more, couple more of the big boppers to to come in for round one in in a week or so. Um, but it looks all right. The effort seems there. That's it, you know. Getting getting some wins, even even in the preseason, it's it's a good thing to have. Well, in the past, when we lose in the preseason, you go, "Do you know what? It's just a trial." Yeah, yeah, don't, yeah. Don't look into that. <laughs> now that we've won, had a good win, it's like, "Wow, it's looking really good for the Titans." Absolutely. Whoops, that's me. How bad? Apologies. We've, we've got a, we've got our first caller. <laughs> He'd freak if I put him on to uh, rule number one, put your phone on, do not disturb, Matt. It's been a while, clearly. Um, yeah, and then in the nines, what was really impressive about our, our nines effort was we didn't win the whole thing, but the effort. So, like, those 1% plays, like kick chase, and you know where it, they could really relax. They seem to be really putting in the effort. So, I, I think we're in for a better season than we did last year. Here's hoping. Absolutely gutted for Ryan James um, out for another season with yeah. the ACL. Uh, that's tragic. Um, but uh, the big fella, Kevin Proctor, named uh, the on-field captain. And then Ryan James is going to stay on as the club captain. So I think good things for us in 2020. You can, I think the new coach uh, seems to have had a good effect. Um, he, he's hoping. Um, out of that game... Joy Arrow was probably the big one. I was interested to see how he was going to go. Uh, obviously, a lot of speculation because he's moving on to South next year. There's a lot of people that are a bit dirty and wanted to basically see him move on straight away. I think we're going to get 100% effort out of that guy all year and the team will be better for it. For I'm, sure. I'm obviously biased. He's been in, in here and come <laughs> on the pod with us, but uh, he scored a great try on the weekend and he can see that he's having a go. So I'm, I'm expecting good things there. You watch this week, it'll probably get announced. <laughs> He's playing for South Round 1. Yeah, but <laughs> we'll, we'll wait until that happens, eh? Yeah, no, I, th- <laughs> I think he's going to be good for us this season. Uh, Mitch Rain seems to have edged Nathan Peets out for the starting hooker spot too. He was pretty pretty good, Mitch Rain, on, on Saturday night. So pretty uh, electric out of dummy half, give us that bit of spark. But I'd expect both of those guys fit and in form would be good for the Titans. So uh, fairly hopeful for a good year. Um, news today, Captain's Challenge has been made official. We're yeah, that's interesting change to the game. So each captain or uh, vice captain will get the ability to challenge a call on the field, but only at broken play. So you can't... Um, what, you can't can't throw, stop the play. can't stop the play when they've made a break or something like that, but if they're packing a scrum or there's a penalty or a try or whatever, uh, the captain's going to be able to make a challenge. 
they get one one unsuccessful one per game. So as soon as if they challenge and it's not successful, then that's it. But if they're correct, yeah. Well, I mean, when you bring introduce these uh, different challenges, it's, I mean, we've, it's great having access to the technology to be able to do this. It's just yeah. we've got to make sure that the the rules support you know a good game. Uh, the last thing people want is, you know, stoppages. Or you don't want to turn into a four-hour game of gridiron. Exactly. Or even, you know, like the, the VAR in soccer, it's, uh, it's it certainly plays its role, but sometimes it just feels like it's uh, an interference. And it can really, you know, you can lose momentum and uh, for a spectator, it's not exactly exciting to watch. No. Uh, I, I, I like it. I think that most punters, have, or a lot of punters have been calling for it for a fair while. Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how it goes throughout the season. What we've seen in cricket is it doesn't always necessarily get rid of the howler because they use up their challenge and then the ref still miss, you know, a call, or the umpire misses a call later in the in the match. But I think teams that will use it smart might, might save it for those last 10 to 15 minutes when the things are really on the yeah. line. You know, if you're 40 in front, there's not really any point uh, challenging the ref, is there? No. But... Um, I, one thing I did notice, so I was, I, the the trial games were streamed. So I was, I was watching it through the titans.com.au website. And I don't know if it was a mistake or not, but you could hear the ref for the whole match. I, f- I found it really good that, you know, you could hear the ref talking to each other, calling players offside and all that. Sort of, I don't know, it would drive some people crazy, but I really enjoyed sort of hearing that in a... Yeah, I imagine it would, you know, bring a new perspective to the game. It's like, you know, hearing what's actually going on on the field. Well, if if you can hear the ref warning a player three times before before they actually go right exactly you're offside, well exactly. then you can start to go, oh, geez, that was rough. Well, no, he's he's warned him, yeah, three tackle three yeah. tackles in a row. Absolutely, um, got the um, got the warning. So I'm looking forward to forward to. Hopefully, we get a bit more of that. Would be nice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, Redcliffe are, are one of the candidates to be the next team in the NRL. So apparently there's five or six consortiums in Brisbane. Um, Todd Greenberg's come out and said that Brisbane is most likely to be the next team. I'm staunchly against that. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I went for the Broncos as a kid. I'm a Queenslander. I love the Titans. I don't think another team in Queensland is the answer. I think they should go to Perth first. Um, potentially even the central coast of New South Wales or all the or the central, Queens, uh, central Queensland, I think bringing another team into southeast Queensland is going to diminish our Titans market, the Broncos market, and I can't see it being fruitful for a whole lot of new fans for the NRL. I would have thought yeah. the expansion, f- the, the plan for expansion is to bring new fans into the game, but bringing in another team into the NRL just gives more choice in a, in a you know, strong NRL market already. I wonder if it, it, it will help. I wonder if it will kind of create a, a local rivalry and, and get people excited about that. Potentially, but people blow up and say, oh, the, tit- you know, oh, the Titans, they, they can't be successful. It's like, well, it's not because of the location. It's just it's hard to get established and build that winning culture. Dropping another team in Brisbane does not mean they're going to win straight away. Absolutely not. And, um, you know, you look at some of the teams, it, it took them decades to, to perform well. Correct. Um, we're... we're we, uh, as we advance, we, we forget uh, our patience and we forget what it's like to, to grind out for year on year and build a team and build a, build a um, support network underneath it. And Everyone gets impatient with the Titans, but it took the Cowboys 20, 20 years 
to win a grand 20 final. years. Yeah. Yeah, they we forget that pretty quickly. The Warriors haven't won one. Yeah. And uh yeah, there's some other teams that are only have only won one in their time or in the truly national comp. So I think uh yeah, the back of house seems to be going right at the Titans and and the playing groups going in the right direction. I think we're in for some good years ahead, but I I just hate to see them drop another team in Brisbane and then all of a sudden Brisbane and the Titans are now competing for those marketing dollars. Absolutely. The yeah. same players, same playing talent. So it's not like you're developing a new nursery. I don't think it does a lot to really combat AFL. I think if you go to Perth and you start a juniors program in Perth, all of a sudden the kids in Perth have got a decision to make, well, am I going to play AFL or am I going to play NRL? Well, most of them are going to play AFL, but there's still going to be there's going to be a section of expats that are going to go, no, no, no. We're going to play NRL. Like they already get good crowds over there. Had the nines over there. I'd really like. I'd rather that that was the team, or even PNG. Yeah. Straight away, you'd have eight million new followers. Of, you know, I know they'd already follow the <laughs> NRL, but like, tell me a team that wouldn't have the that that'd have the most members surely if they came into the NRL. Oh, for sure. And what a gnarly um, support crew they'd have. Yeah, it'd uh, it'd. That'd be interesting to see on the, you know, every second week a game in PNG. I don't know how the players would like it, but uh, it'd be pretty cool. I think if if it's going to be another team in Brisbane, I think Redcliffe. I don't mind that option, but it goes against what I think the NRL, NRL are trying to achieve, and that's twenty six games a year at SunCorp. I would rather see it played at Redcliffe and really capture that Sunny Coast Redcliffe market. Boutique Stadium, I I feel like there's some regret on the Gold Coast that they built a 28,000 seating stadium out at Rabina. Probably should have been a 12 to 15,000 seat stadium in Broadbeach. Absolutely. And I think we'd we'd we'd, we'd fill it every week. We'd fill it every week. You'd, you'd be able to imagine being able to walk out of out of all the hotels in Broadie and Surface straight into the stadium, as opposed to trying to get people out to Rabina. It's not the same experience. No. There's a reason the MCGs fall all the time. Yeah. You know, Suncorp, walk straight out of Suncorp and into Caxton Street. Imagine if it was straight out of the Gold Coast and, and into into the Oasis. That'll be, you know, or into into Cavill Ave. Mm. Be off the charts. So, I, but if it's going to be in Brisbane, I would have thought Redcliffe would have been the go. But uh, I know that the. I think the teams out west will be pretty strong. They'll be hard to beat, you know, in those expansion corridors out For sure. in Ipswich. That'll be tough. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens there. What do you reckon? What what else you got there? I'm loving that, but I'm I'm mindful that uh, we've got a few to try there. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you want to crack into the cat wincher and we can talk about that? I do want to So, just to give the folks at home the backstory or, or where I'm coming from, this I've been badgering um, Govs to come back in since I saw this story. Just leading into Christmas, one of my favourite uh, sporting events of the year is the Sydney to Hobart. It's on my bucket list. I've got zero sailing experience other than when I'm on holidays and, you know, the little resort cats that you get to <laughs> have a go on. I've got no idea, but I'd love to do that race one day or, or at the bare minimum, I'd love to be on the harbour one year for the start. And when I saw that your logo was going to be on on one of the sails, and then you'd released a beer to go with it, I'm like, I've got to hear this story. 
what's the go? How, oh, yeah. How did this I mean, it was absolutely mind-blowing. Um, so I'm glad you, you actually kept uh, a four-pack of it aside because we sold out in, in you know, a couple of weeks. I think I actually snuck into the brewery and bought your last 12 cans out of the fridge. There you go. At, so uh, Burley. Uh, it was a beer that um, kind of just fell into our lap. Um, and when I say that, I don't mean it was complete luck. We, we have a tendency to attract these really cool little side adventures that we go on, um, throughout Black Ops. It's kind of like our signature thing is not just running a brewery and making beer, but also kind of stepping aside and doing some cool shit in, um, some different playing fields. Yep. Uh, so this beer came up through our new landlord, uh, up at BH2. So he, um... He owns the factory that we built our brewery in. He also started uh, Riviera Motoyots uh, right. back in the early 80s. So if you can cast your mind back to the 80s, like probably the biggest name in luxury Motoyots would be uh, Riviera. So he went on to uh, sell Riviera and started up Maritimo Racing Yachts. Right, yes. So he's uh, a big part of like the Australian Motoyot scene. Uh He's right into his sailing, as you can imagine. And um, as, you know, one of his little side stories is to do with the Catwincher, which is the the name of the beer and the name of the boat that was in the race. So uh, Catwincher was a yacht that his father actually owned. It was originally built in uh, 1904 in London in a, in a brewery, would you imagine, Ah, right. Yeah, so it was uh, brewed in uh, a, a brewery, built in a brewery over there. I, I imagine back then, like uh, the Coopers who made uh, all the wooden kegs, they're probably also pretty handy at making yachts. Uh, so they probably diverse their... Pretty good at making a watertight yeah, wooden structure. Yeah, so that was their thing. So I imagine they, they kind of diversified their skills across drinking beer and, and making boats. Yeah. Uh, so the, the boat was sailed over to Sydney in the 50s uh, and... It competed in its first Sydney to Hobart, I think, in 1957. Ah, right. So it's been, I think, five or six Sydney to Hobarts in its lifetime. Uh, so this was owned by Bill Barry Cotter's father. Yeah. Uh, then the, the boat was uh, handed on to Bill and it, it kind of got lost in storage and um, disappeared for, for like a decade. Yeah. Uh, and um, about 10 years later, this boat shows up on a gum tree ad in some lady's backyard in Sydney. Down on the northern beaches or something? Yeah, it? completely like rotted out. Like this thing couldn't float if you if you tried. Uh, and someone recognised the boat and sent it through to Bill. And Bill's like, yeah, that's Catwincher. So he went down and um, acquired the boat back off this lady who had, she had no idea how it ended up in her backyard. It was just one of those stories. So he brought the boat back up to... Gold Coast and yep. uh, spent, you know, the next better part of a decade restoring it uh, and, as you can imagine, an incredible amount of money. But uh, for him, this was very much a passion project. This boat was, you know, his father's pride and joy. Yep. So he completely restored it from, from the ground up. Every uh, inch of this boat was reverted to immaculate condition. Uh, and due to its, like, history uh, and its connection with the brewery, in London, uh, and his connection with us as his new tenants, he uh, he approached us and said, "Hey, uh, told us about the story about the boat, and said, would you guys be interested 
in if I was to put black hops on the spinnaker because I'm racing it in the 2020 Sydney to Hobart. And that would have taken you all of, what, three seconds to... We were just like, well, I mean, we just... it was. What do you say to that other than, of course, fuck yes, how, yeah. how do we do this? Like, yeah. it's, you know, um, we were kind of like, you know, we, we we don't have any money. Like, we can't afford this. Even, you know, we appreciate the offer, but yeah. that's completely out of our budget. And he said, no, no, you just send me through the, the logo and uh, I'll get the sale makers to, to get it done. That is awesome. Yeah, so we, we had a meeting with, um, with Bill and uh, with some of the other... Uh, senior executives from Maritimo because they were very much involved in the um, uh, rebuild of the boat. Plus, uh, some of them were involved in the crewing and, and yeah. the story around the the Sydney the coming back to the Sydney to Hobart. Uh, and they were a little bit perplexed that he didn't want to put Maritimo on the on the <laughs> sail. <laughs> and, and you know, for Bill, he, he he's like, "This is this is my passion project, not my work it's not project." Work, yeah. yeah. So it was kind of, you know, important for him to, to separate those two. Um, so yeah, we, we did the only thing that we knew that we could to, to kind of honor that, that sort of offer yep. and we made a beer for it. So we That's made it good too. So we made a beer of the same name, uh, called a cat wincher. It's a pale ale, uh, and it's just designed to kind of replicate the, uh, you know, easy, breezy, nice winds that we were hoping we'd get. Yes. Um, because the Sydney to Hobart it can be a very torturous journey. Um, you know, it's it's highly regarded as one of the most challenging um, offshore sail racing, sail races in the world. I did I did start to follow it too, and I, I may or may not have put um, one or two dollars on... Yeah, I put, a few, I put a few bucks on it too. <laughs> Just because uh, it firmed into actually one of the favourites to it, take overall honours because of the age of the boat, yes, well, I'm assuming. I don't know how that works. Um, with its handicap, yeah. um, it was actually second favourite to finish um, handicap yeah. honours, which is, you know, is to win the race because the boat was just so... Um, excellently restored. It was just sailing at such an incredible speed for its rating. Yep. Um, and they, we we met with the crew and the skipper, and they said, you know, the conditions are looking good. If we can get that northerly wind coming out of the harbour, we could very easily win this race. Um, they unfortunately got less wind than they'd hoped yeah, for. Yeah. Okay. Um, so they ended up winning their division in the vintage class, but. Um, Unfortunately, there just wasn't enough wind at the time to get them through to, to Hobart across first. But honestly, we were just excited to be part of it. So we, we flew down for the, yeah. for the start of the race and we got to sit there drinking tins at, uh, at the headlands watching this big black hop spinnaker shoot up as the base. Yeah, as, as it, and like for me personally, um, growing up, sailing was like my sport of choice. So oh, as really? a teenager, I used to race like little five meter dinghies. Yeah. Um, I was in the, the Navy cadets, yep. uh, as a, as a young lad. And, <clears throat> um, yeah, I, I didn't play, I didn't play too much footy, but I, I used to sail and I used to travel around the country racing sailing, little sailing skiffs. So it was absolutely one of my bucket lists to do the Sydney to Hobart. And I feel like I've got to tick that somewhat vicariously through beer, which is pretty cool. I don't know if there's, there's anything more Australian than, than the Sydney to Hobart. I saw there's a bit of, few people online saying that it's a sport that's sort of disconnected from the average Aussie, but, you know, obviously because of where it's ended up 
with the you know the super maxis and that like it's yeah I mean it's I think it's difficult for Australians to connect with you know such an expensive luxurious sport yeah uh, it's not in our nature however like we've always been like strong players in that field and I think that sort of, whole yeah. like you know not being afraid to to jump on a boat and, and sail it through some of the most dangerous seas. That's about as Australian as yeah. you can get. I don't think there's anything more Australian than the Boxing Day test and, and the... Yeah, uh, I, it's, as long as I can remember. City to Hobart. Boxing Day was, you know, you'd watch the cricket and the sailing. <laughs> Do you know what they did botch, though, was the coverage. Of the Sydney to Hobart? Yeah. Well, I, I didn't actually watch it because I was there, but... Well, so Channel 7 ended up with the cricket and the Boxing Day test. Uh, sorry. Ah, okay. Sid, and the, the cricket and the Sydney to Hobart. So normally... Channel 7 have got nothing else doing on Boxing Day and they'd normally be pumping up the, the boat race. Yeah, But you actually had to, you had to flick over to one of the other seven, seven channels. Seven or something, yeah. Yeah, which I thought was... I knew it because I went looking for it, but I, I did speak to a few other people that probably yeah. weren't as passionate about watching the start, but they're like, hey, yeah, I missed the start. Normally it'd be, you know, it's all over Channel 7. So that, well, that was a shame, but yeah, I love it. I yeah. So if, if he needs some ballast for next year, or oh I yeah, know, I, I, know I definitely guy. tried to get mine. You know, I was, I was I put my hand up as a reservist, but um, yeah. you know, it's an incredibly. It wasn't just a race for um, for the sake of it. They weren't just doing it because they, they like they were they were absolutely having a crack. So uh, Michael, who was the skipper, he he sailed. I think in the crew of six, I think they had like over. 50 Sydney to Hobart's under their belt, oh, wow. including several wins. Yeah, okay. Um, so they definitely weren't taking it lightly. They were there to to win the race. And, and Bill himself was actually hoping to crew down to Hobart. But yeah. unfortunately, like he's, I think he's 80 or he's pushing 80. Yeah, and okay. um, yeah, it's a pretty wild trip out there. It's only, she's only, she's the smallest boat in the fleet. So um, it doesn't take much of a wave to kind of start tipping that thing up and down. Well, I potentially have the last can of Cat Winter in that's unopened in my esky. Yeah, I'd be holding on to that. It'd be worth squillions. So hit me up in the comments if you didn't get to try it. But um, I don't think I'll be parting with that. That could be that could become part of the furniture. Actually, <laughs> I, I have enjoyed. I've had. Do you know what's been hard? I started with twelve, and I've been trying to save them for this pod, but we we didn't quite make it happen a couple of times. The next minute, I'm I'm staring at my fridge, and that's all that was sitting in there at one point. I was like, wow. <laughs> I only did a couple for the for the for the episode. <laughs> so well, yeah, well, I mean we like it was such an awesome story to be a part of, even if only a small part of it. Um, but we we also really fell in love with the beer, so I imagine we'll be bringing that back at, at the first opportunity. So um, we'll be we'll be following the Cat Wincher story and seeing where she goes, and at any chance that we can rebrew this beer, we certainly will. Very cool. I love the story. Even better beer. Um, I reckon we'll have a crack at some. What else? What else? What are we going next? All right, maybe let's move on to the California Love. There's definitely an R and B feel for for some of the beers this year, or not? Yeah, that it's it's come out kind of um, by chance. Uh, however, like I think beer and music just you know they they kind of go really well together. Like I couldn't imagine brewing without listening to music. Um, so there's definitely a huge influence of music that I've listened to growing up and music that I'm into that comes through in our beers. So, so this is one of the sexy black cans to, you know, the black top black can. I do like those. Yeah. So when we do some really limited special stuff, we'll, we'll bring out the black lids that'll uh, kind of set it apart from the, uh, the usual lineup. Uh, so this beer 
uh, is our latest limited release. So we bring out uh, a different limited release for every month of the year. So this one is our February. Yep. Um, and this beer was originally brewed um, to kind of pay homage to our trip over to the States. We headed over a couple of years ago to get some inspiration for the new brewery. Uh, and we spent a lot of time in California and the West Coast. Uh, and, you know, their traditional just West Coast IPAs that they're making over there are just incredible. And are they West Coast because of where the ingredients are coming from or? No. So, no. well, partly, but it's it's more to do with the style in itself. Yeah. So the West Coast IPA, it's that older American style IPA where, you know, we're not talking hazies. We're talking clear, nice, strong, firm bitterness. Yeah. Uh, and then the hops are usually derived from like the Pacific Northwest. So a lot more citrus, pine. Yeah. Resinous. Some tropical fruit, but uh, less about the fruit, more about the punch. So in our previous episode that we did, we spoke about an IPA being, you know, sort of the origins of that being an Indian pale ale, as in there was a lot of, there was a, India was a colony of Britain and when they were sending beer there, there was, they had to sort of maybe punch up a bit, make them a bit stronger, just so they made the journey and yeah. that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I think our listeners... I would assume are mostly nufties like me and like slamming beers and don't really know a whole lot about them after yeah. that. But I do hope that we can, yeah, that's, I do like to share a bit of that, sort of that bit of that backstory. Uh, I think it's good. You know, there's a lot of different beers out there and it, it's good to know what they all, what they mean when it's, oh, it's a West Coast IPA or it's an Indian parlor. Absolutely. I know it can get um, a little bit confusing and daunting with, you know, there's a, it feels like there's a new style coming out every month. Um, that's why, you know, I, I try to tell people not to um, overthink it too much. Just, Just have a crack. It. <laughs> it's like, you know, the the most important question I can ask someone who's drinking my beer is, did you enjoy it? I get that from my wife a lot. Just <laughs> stop overthinking it. Just, <laughs> Just do it. Just do it. <laughs> That's probably some good life advice. Don't yeah. overthink it. Uh, something I did mean to ask you, it's a real lapse on my mm-hmm. part. Have you travelled overseas in the last two weeks? I have not. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm heading over next. I'm heading out of the country next week. I'm just not sure if I'll make it back. Uh, yeah, one of my relos left the country yesterday, and I was like, mm, well, "That's not what I would be doing." But but I'm going to New Zealand, so I feel like is, is that another country? Yeah, it's not really <laughs> another country. I can just catch the bus back, can I? It's it's bizarre. I don't want to make light of it because it's very serious. But I'm probably going to make light of it. The big advice that's come out today: wash your hands. Mm. That's that's mind blowing. Who would have thought washing your hands was a good idea? Like, yeah, I know. Before you eat and after you've used the bathroom, wash your hands. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I must just go to show how many people don't. Now, I, I I am a little bit OCD and probably wash my hands more than the most regular punters, but I feel like my life has been training me up until this point so that I'm ready for the coronavirus. I think we'll I think we'll survive it. Yeah, it's it's not one of those things where I. And I, I talk about this with, with a couple of people is that I watch a lot of disaster movies. Mm. One of my favourite shows is The Walking Dead. I don't think we'll ever see zombies uh, walking down the street that, you, you know, the undead. We'll never yeah. see that. I think, but that, I think for me personally, that's like my, my secret fantasy. Yeah. I think I grew up on, like yourself, sounds like it, you know, zombie stories, zombie books. I've got books at home of like how to survive the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. So I feel like I'm ready for it. 
I don't know how I'm going to survive like a traditional virus. Well, I guess that's the point I was going to make though, right, is that I don't think we'll ever see the undead that, you know, guts hanging out, you know, got got to brain them, otherwise they don't drop. But I do think a virus is as close as we're going to get to that scenario in that it won't be, you know, hordes of superhumans coming down the street, but it's going to turn into people that have got it and people that don't. And then what I'm mindful of is that at any point in the next couple of weeks, our government could turn around and say, don't leave your house. So interesting. I said this to my wife about a week and a half ago and said, hey, I know you're going to think I'm silly, but let's just let's just buy a few extra groceries. So uh, she gets cranky at me because a couple of years ago, I do like to prep. Yep. <laughs> and a couple of years ago, it was, it was raining a little bit hard. And I was like, we need to prep, get some canned soup. Yep. And I bought all this canned soup and it took us like two or three years to actually eat I mean, as long soup. as you don't spend your life savings on canned soup, who's it really hurting? That's <laughs> that, So this time around, I'm trying to be a little bit more sensible, but there's things like toilet paper and that are already in low supply in in uh, in the big shopping centres. So that's my advice to people is don't, don't go out and buy a year's worth of canned soup, but maybe buy... Make sure you've always got two weeks worth of toilet paper in the house. Yeah, you don't, it's the last thing you want to get stuck with. A little bit of extra rice. Yeah. <laughs> some canned tuna. Uh, if we lose power, we're in trouble. I don't have a generator or solar. <laughs> so we're going to eat everything on the first day. <laughs> but uh, it's just, it, I think I, I find it interesting. I, I went to a developers conference on Friday that was supposed to be all about property development. And it turned into an update on the coronavirus because they're all watching... All the economists, all the all the you know, yeah. I mean, whether you um, you think it's hype or if it's justified, the reality is it's affecting how we go about our lives. Is it something that you guys factor in? Absolutely. So we um, a lot of our equipment, um, that, like our tanks and things like that, they're all whether they're made in China, they're at least prefabricated there. So. Uh, I'm in daily conversations at the moment because we're looking at buying equipment. Yeah, okay. Um, so up until, you know, a few weeks ago, we thought, no worries, we'll place the order, it'll be here in three to four months. Yeah. Now we don't know what to expect. Um, while the conditions today are, are good, people are allowed to go to work, tomorrow that could just completely change. Yeah, and I guess what's worrying them is that they're now starting to see cases that have had no connection to China, so... It's basically jumped countries. So the lady on the Gold Coast last week, she'd travelled to Iran. She'd not been to China, but she's come home with the virus. Um, Italy has had a lot bigger outbreak there. And I don't think Australia's been stopping people from Italy from entering the country. So what's happened is that once you're in the EU, you can travel wherever you like without and basically unchecked. Yeah, and uh, I mean, even coming directly out of China, and Australian citizens have been able to travel free, they've just had to self-isolate. Yeah. And whether that they've got their incubation period wrong, we'll, we won't know until the cases start popping up. But I think like one of the big ones is, what about the Olympics? I'm glad you brought that up because there's a couple of major sporting events that it could affect, uh, probably more imminent than that. The F1, next weekend in True. Melbourne, uh, Ferrari have basically already asked the question and said, are we going to be allowed in the country? Because obviously their team's based in Italy. True. So they're like, well, what, what's going to happen when we get the customs in Australia? Are you going to let us in or not? And they want to know before they leave. So, I don't know, again, not, not a sport that all Australian punters connect with, but it's one I love. 
And it's, you know, there's not many bigger circuses. You've sort of got F1, soccer and the Olympics and those. They're big money, big, big concept events. Oh, that'll be crazy. If they, if they start on the grid next week and there's no Ferrari, that'll be huge. Yeah. Or no Ferrari and no, you know, insert other team here because they basically, if they tr- had to travel through a country that's on the band list on mm. the way here, it's game over. They're not going to let them in. So that'll be really interesting. I did write in a footy season, starts next weekend. Yes. Are we going to see round one of the NRL season with no people in the stands? <laughs> uh, I certainly hope not So if you've watched these these disaster movies That yeah. you and I grow up on What happens? It starts out small One guy coughs on another guy And then you've got you know. So on the case of the Gold Coast We've got a lady that travelled from Iran She's felt fine So didn't do anything wrong From all reports that this lady's done everything right And she served 40 customers And then started to feel crook mm. We had a small event here on the weekend. Queen, 40,000 people. Yep. Say two people went to that event that had been, or one, yeah. that had been infected at the at the salon. Next minute, 40,000 people potentially exposed. You can't track that. It's gone. Once, no. once it starts to hit big numbers, there's no point doing a ring around going, oh, were you at this place on that day? Like, It's game over because there is no way you're going to track the, the mm. from there. Um, so... I I will not be surprised, and the people know that I love a beat up and I love a disaster movie. But I will not be surprised if like some sporting events are played in front of empty stadiums in the <laughs> next couple of weeks, for those reasons. But yeah, the Olympics is huge. That's because I saw that they they're not talking about postponing it. If they're it doesn't run, it won't happen. And I don't think it's ever been cancelled. It's been postponed. I think even during World War Two, they they ran it late. I think. If I had a producer, I'd, uh, yeah. I'd get him to Google that. Yeah. Uh, I think it'll be... Hang on, see what I can come up with here. Yeah, I don't even... Because uh, they still ran the 1936 Olympics because Hitler was the guy at the... Um, that was in Germany. Yeah. So, so not, well, a... that was pre-war. I wonder if they had a 1940 Olympics. Olympics. Cancelled. Probably only going to get it. What years were the Olympics cancelled? It would have been better. So nineteen sixty, uh, nineteen sixteen. Sorry, were cancelled. Both the summer and winter Olympics of nineteen forty and nineteen forty four were cancelled. Okay, there you go. But fairly, but I mean for fairly pretty major good reasons. reasons. <laughs> <laughs> um, if it was the if it was a, a version of the flu that cancelled that, it'd be interesting. Weird anomaly. The mm. Spanish flu was eighteen twenty. Nineteen twenty. Sorry. It's a weird timing. 2020, we've got this flu outbreak. Mm. And it didn't seem that long ago we had the, the swine flu, the bird flu, SARS and all of that. But like and the Spanish flu wiped out like millions. Yes. And if if Timmy was here, Timmy, you let me down again not being here. <laughs> Timmy sent me a, uh, sent me a picture on, on um, I've lost my phone, sent me a picture last week. There was some book written like 20 years ago. That talks about, and it was like a science fiction, mm. but it was called the Wuhan virus. Was was the virus oh, in the book? Yes, I love it. I love conspiracies. And it's like, how did how did that happen? Hang on, I'll tell you the book. I'll tell you the book. This is not the right message thread. 
We've gone down a rabbit hole. We're losing people. <laughs> but yeah, basically, it was started out as science fiction. Here it is. Here, it is. what's it called? The Eyes of Darkness. It's called. I'm gonna I'm gonna read you a section of the book. Published in 1981, so 39 years ago. In around 2020, a severe pneumonia-like illness will spread throughout the globe, attacking the lungs and the bronchial tubes and resisting all known treatments. They call the stuff Wuhan 400 because well, it was developed at the RDNA labs outside the city of Wuhan and it was 400th viable strain of man-made microorganisms. Oh, well. So I better get a copy of that book and find I out how it ends. I trust, yeah. <laughs> I trust Timmy. He wouldn't have led me astray. He does love a conspiracy as much as I do, but is that not science fiction becoming science fact? Absolutely. Or is there a deeper conspiracy there in that this is part of some master plan? Whoa. Because there is a lab near Wuhan that develops this stuff. No doubt, yeah. And that's, I believe, is part of, I, I don't know, I should be way more educated on this, but I'm not. I'm just yeah. purely speculating. It should be beers and banters and yeah. viruses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that part of, there's a dude in trouble that potentially maybe was a little bit lax at work and he's spread, spread this coronavirus? It adds up. Good news for you guys, though. Corona sales are down. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> they say 35% of Americans won't touch the stuff at the moment. Because yeah, well, I get it. I mean, you know, if if you named your beer after a terrible disease, people probably wouldn't drink it. <laughs> um, the fact that it's the other way around is, is probably really upsetting some of the it's people at Corona. I have seen varying reports, actually, as to why sales are down. I think mostly the reason that that com beer company's profits are down is because they're not selling any beer in China. I, I, at the I moment. think that has a lot to do with it, yeah. But um, I'm sure people wouldn't be drinking it because of the <laughs> name. I, I, I know they'd be a deterrent if it was like, here, have an influenza ale. I'd be like, no, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> you make a good point. Here's, uh, yeah, here's some salmonella. Yeah. It's <laughs> her latest offering. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear We've, got, we've gone off, off track um, Have we got one more in there? We've got a beer And I think that beer might bring us back on, on track So the beers we've been drinking They're all available Absolutely California all, Except Love. for the um, Cat Wincher Except for Cat Wincher There's one beer left I might put the, the last Cat Wincher on, on eBay Yes I would <laughs> Here we go So the last beer here uh, I've brought along today Is uh, our uh, our triple A. Um, so it's a, an American amber ale. So it's to bring some malt back into the picture. Um, typically over summer and the warmer months, we were making paler, hoppier beers. Um, and we reserve our dark malts for the cooler months. But um, in this case, we wanted to bring one back and, and kind of showcase uh, an amber ale that's still relatively light but it's got some of that nice malt punch and it's recon series so so it's part of our recon series so our recon series is um like all of our beers that are brewed on our pilot systems yep um, they're typically only available from the tap room yep in incredibly small volumes we're talking like five to ten cartons it's a, a, a one four pack per person kind of job uh, and they typically don't last more than you know a week or two. So, like the smoke screen that you had for us last Absolutely, time. Absolutely, yeah. I held on to one of them for so long. I, 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 
I loved it and then couldn't bring myself to drink it, so I waited. I can't remember who ended up getting the last can. Someone come around for a beer. And I said, "You got to have, you got to have a go of this." Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So yeah, this has got some of our like sweeter caramel malts in there. There's some really light chocolate notes as well, uh, and almost like rye type spice character to it. Um, but then we've got, you know, our, our hot bitterness coming through and some a nice pine hop aromas and flavours to finish it up. And it's 5.2%. 5.2%. So, yeah, it's it's a, a full strength, but uh, it's not like the Cali Love at 7, 7.2. Oh, is it? Yes. I missed that. Oh, 2.1 standard drinks. Lucky I'm not driving. That is That is good. I really like that. So, yeah, like last time, I just wanted to bring, you know, a, b- a bit of a, a broad spectrum of the different styles of beer out there. It so has been noted that you guys, are, you're just punching out all different beers and it's great. Like, you get, you guys have got something every every week or two. There's, there's at least every week. We're, yep. we're close to two new beers a week at the moment. Um, we do have the two tap rooms yep. on the Gold Coast. Uh, and the motivation behind that is for our, our locals uh, and our regulars at the tap room, what we want is every time that they come in, there's something new to try. Try something else. And if they don't get it that time, by the time they come back, it's gone. So it creates a little bit of excitement for them. They're not just coming in and it's the same eight beers over and over again. Uh, and it also allows us uh, as brewers to really experiment and try different things and collaborate with different people and experiment with different ingredients. I, uh, I tried to listen back to our last pod yesterday just to make sure we didn't cover old ground. I don't think we spoke about it last time you're in, but obviously one of the other big craft beers on the Gold Coast leading into Christmas got acquired by one of the giants. Has that been good for you guys? Because the last pod we did, we talked about how good it was that local breweries connecting with local people and that that was really resonating with, with consumers and beer drinkers. And I saw a backlash online for that company and I was like, wow, that's... You know, I, I think a lot of people were drinking that beer because of where it was brewed and who was who was brewing it and who owned it. Absolutely, well, uh, and that's something about craft beer, um, whether you subscribe to it or not. But there's a there's an overwhelming sense of connection with yep. the brand. Um, it's as far as consumable products go, it's the one that people relate more to the brand than necessarily the product. Yeah. Um, so people like to connect with the story. They can uh, like to connect with the owners. And when breweries do sell um, to like the the bigger bigger guys, it typically doesn't go down too well with the uh, vocal minority. Yeah. Okay. So most people who drink their beer or our beer, yeah, they don't know. They didn't know who owned it then, and they don't know who owns it now. They drink it because they like it. Yeah. Um, whereas there's definitely a, a, a strong following who really care about ownership, particularly in craft beer. And so typically when you, uh, when you have one of these acquisitions, there will be a bit of an, uh, an uproar, uh, against it. Me personally, I, I don't really have an opinion either way. Um, you know, if you look at it from a business perspective, they probably had a really good business plan and executed it brilliantly. Yeah. Um, and you know, for most small businesses, if you can get in three years and, and make that sort of coin, 
you've got to be pretty happy about yourself. Um, so whereas most, most breweries are, are probably uh, not in it for the same reasons. Yeah. Um, and, and care more about their community and their legacy and <laughs> so, things like that. So that's the, qu- that's the question, Gubs. But if they come knocking for $240 million, are you selling? Of course. <laughs> You're kidding me? No. <laughs> I mean, we're not, um, we're not trying to sell Black Ops. It's not yeah. on our to-do list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I was to say no to that, I, I think everyone would no know I'm lying. It's like if, you know, your, your prized possession, someone offered you $200 million. Are you kidding me? Of course you'd take it. Uh, it's not because I don't care about what I'm doing. It's that, you know, I've got a family you and keep, kids. Keep, that could, you could go and keep brewing Exactly. Else. Yeah, exactly right. I, I could continue doing what I do. Yeah. Um, however, yeah, it's not on our... On our, on our agenda. No, I'm, I'm, I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> um, but yeah, whether it's good for us or not, sure, we, we, we kind of see some of the people that aren't happy about that decision yeah. come to us. So but for more so, it's like, for us, it's a good reason because it shows how important craft beer is at the moment you know, in, the, in the beer community. If the big guys are, bo- are actively trying to acquire craft breweries, it shows that um, we're we're making a an impact on them. So the stats, I believe, Asahi owns fifty percent of the Australian beer market. One company. Um, yes, there. So, um, typically, if you follow any of these big beer companies back, you end up with one or two com- one of two companies. Yeah. So globally, there's there's two companies that make up ninety odd percent of the beer. Yeah. And they have been trying to merge for quite some time. Yeah. Righto. Um, luckily in Australia, we've got a reasonably good, like, um, ACCC and, um, they're very much involved in these mergers, um, and looking at, um, diverse, diverging some of those businesses, but, you know, it doesn't really change what we do as craft brewers. It, it probably doesn't show from the, the paraphernalia I've got on the desk. I've got to, I've got to get some Black Ops gear on here. Once upon a time, I only drank you know, Queensland's beer. And, but now I, if I'm not drinking Black Ops, <laughs> dare I say. I'm not offended. <laughs> That's okay. But if, if I'm not, I am still making that decision. I'd rather reach for a Cooper's because it's not owned by, you know, if I'm going to drink a mainstream beer and not a, yep. like a craft beer, I'm going to reach for a Cooper's because it's not, Owned by one of the multinationals. Yeah, and and that's a that's that's a great decision if if it makes you feel better. Yeah, and that's maybe I'm. A, a, but it, but it's it's very typical of what we see in in our industry. Um, it's um, you know, you people don't care as passionately about other things that they buy maybe. as they do about craft beer, which is good for us. Um, and it's you know if if we can. Instill that level of you know supporting local, supporting independent businesses, doing our little bit, even if it's slowly changing the way people think about how they c- consume. Yeah, then that's a good thing. I don't want one thing. One more thing I want to ask you about before you go. You guys are involved in a TV show at the moment. My way is we it are called? yes. So yeah, um, just another one of our fun little adventures that we we find ourselves on. Yeah. Um. So some of the um, people working on this new television program, um, that's been launched this year, just premiered last weekend on Sunday, 5.30. Yeah, yesterday. There was an episode yesterday. Yes. Yep. Um, so my way, it's kind of, um, a revamp on the old lifestyle TV shows. So if you think, you know, 
Great Southeast and oh yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Great the Weekender and Go stuff first. like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, it's some of the old crew in that circle have have got together with the producer and um, they're trying to revamp that um, that category a little bit. So rather than have your traditional Mike Whitney presenter go around to a bunch of local businesses, there there is no presenter. Um, they they showcase different, um, typically Queensland businesses yeah. at the moment uh, and just get them to tell their story. So it's like if Channel 9 started doing you know, Australian Story. Yeah, okay. So it's um, you know, a little bit more exciting, um, but, you know, from a from the business's perspective, so... And they're going to dig deep into following you guys around or have you had... Yeah, well, um, so they... They had they had a hit list of different types of businesses that they wanted to do. They were really hoping to do a brewery. Yeah, um, we were lucky to to get chosen um, out of a, you know a, quite an incredible selection of craft breweries in southeast Queensland. Um, also, because I think they were looking at doing a sailing story. Ah, uh, righto. Okay. So uh, I think once the producers found out about the Catwincher project that we did, it was a no brainer. So they've. They've done a story on us and they've done a story on the Cat Winter boat. Uh, and those two stories have kind of been combining into the same episode. Okay. I think they still are filming Cat Winter or they might be just editing it. Okay. So uh, our episode probably won't be for the next couple of weeks. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I missed I missed yesterday's episode. I was really keen to see Dylan O'Donnell on the, the, yeah. the astronomer on that Um he got tagged. We had a bit of a thing on our socials last week. Tag someone you'd like to see on the show. And Dylan got tagged. So I was, I was, I was interested to uh, be keen to get him on the show. Um, that sounds really cool. I'm looking forward to the episode. Yeah, it's, it was awesome. Lots of fun. I really appreciate you coming in. I've been bugging the hell out of you. And, and I know you're a busy, busy man. Um, it's hot as hell in here. Appreciate you coming in. No worries, in. mate. Where can, they, where can everyone find you? I know everyone at Black Ops. At Black Ops on all the socials. Um, you just punch our name into Google. You'll find our website. We also have a beer finder for people who aren't on the Gold Coast. It'll show you um, every outlet around the country where you'll find our beer. And personally, at Govs the Brewer? Govs the Brewer. That's where you'll find me. Lots uh, of photos of my kids. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> you can see you're a, you're a Burley local. I love it. Yeah. Um, folks. You can follow us at Beers and Banter. Thank you for your support. I would love you all to, to do me a favor. Please put a comment, a follow, a share, a like, a subscribe on any of the platforms. It really helps us with our organic reach. Um, and hopefully this is the kickstart for 2020 and we'll, we'll be pumping out some pods each week, uh, coronavirus pending. Awesome. Cheers. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. Cheers.